original write-up that we had uh, for this retreat, it changed in a few iterations from when it was written, we sent it in to went it on, when it went online, it got shortened, um, changed a little bit here and there. But one of our intentions was to um, explore how, how is it to live from a freer place in ourselves and what is it um, like when, when we're like relating it to these two roots of the mind, when we're in our patternings and our conditioning and what, what, are they, what does that feel like? Um, I was just very, for example, a very small incident. It, it was rather a sad a story that recently came up on the internet was um, the one that happened in United Airways with the dog. I don't know if you, you heard about that. It's amazing how quickly these stories get around. There's someone that had a, bought a place for the seat for their dog and they had a, a carry-on um, little um, shelf thing for the dog to, to be in. And the stewardess, the um, flight attendant said, um, no, the dog will be all right up in the in the bin for the bags, and and the, and the attendant was quite insistent that this dog go up into the uh, into the into the bag bin. But of course, what she didn't realize is that there's no oxygen up there. So this dog was there, and it was crying. And uh, when they after the three-hour flight, and they uh, and the and the woman who wanted to, was saying, "But I bought this seat, and I wanted this seat, and I wanted this dog to be on the seat next to me." Um, the attendant was quite insistent and they, she actually wanted to put it under the seat so it wouldn't trouble anyone. It was, it was in its basket, closed basket. So three hours later they landed and opened uh, the, the bin and the dog had died, um, which, was, um, which was really sad to see. And the woman was devastated, the, the, the dog's owner was devastated. And then someone wrote an article which was quite interesting. So well, well, what about everyone else? Why didn't anyone else react? You know, like the dog was crying for three hours, but, um, you know, no one else really interacted. And, and I, I can really relate to that sometimes. You're in this situation and there's this feeling like I shouldn't interfere or it's not my place or I don't have the power to do it. Or, and yet there's this being that's crying. And there's all these internal voices that keep us sort of um, a little oppressed in terms of like, actually, a good thing would have been to, to do is to stand up, open the bin and see if the dog was okay. Um, and I can think of many different incidents in my life where I've been in a situation where I've chosen maybe not to speak or act, really from an internalized sense of social pressure or just going unconscious or just justifications in my mind. Well, you know, the person knows best, even though the information I'm receiving is obviously there's a distress. I was in that situation, there's a, a being in distress and I'm not responding. But then I sort of delegate the power to someone else. And so he's talking about freeing human consciousness, how we're conditioned to do that. We delegate to someone else. You know, who is this someone else? <laughs> So what is it like when we get caught in that? What does it feel like? I mean, we might have some incidents some stories where we've experienced that or we, we might just, that feeling of just being, you know, like um, in, in internal oppression around not being able to respond. And what is it like um, when, when we can respond and we feel free enough to maybe break the mold? I, I was also interested re recently with, um, from following on from Parkland with the students coming out um, onto the streets from their classes and you know there's a huge momentum that's building around this uh, school shootings 
And then I think it was a school in North Carolina. There was young, young, one young man who, who walked out on his own. And he said, I thought a few others at least would join me. But the courage, and I think there were a few like that, a few young people that sat there. And in spite of this, obviously, this sense of like, we shouldn't do this, he got up and he walked out. Um, because he felt moved by something that was important. So what is that like when we feel that, that sense of actually I'm going to stand up for something that I really feel is important, even though it goes against the stream, and, and sort of explore and just um, go with that, that momentum. So I don't know if you have anything in your lives where you've experienced both the sense of being oppressed and not being a bit stuck, or maybe in a role that you've put yourself into or find yourself in, you're doing the role, but you're not really very free to be responsive. Or conversely, um, when when you actually do feel empowered to, I, I remember once. This is this is a long time ago. Um, as some of you have known that have read my book, Time to Stand Up, um, <laughs> where I talk about being in um, uh, as a as a Buddhist nun. Um, I actually don't talk about this particular incident. I don't think I've talked about this in a written piece before. But when I trained first as a, as a um, novice um, nun called Mei Chi from the Thai system, uh, which means white-robed mother, um, it's basically a lay ordination. And, the, and the, um, in that ordination, when, when we were first training in England, this is in the late 1970s, 1980s, there wasn't really any ordination for women. So we were in this sort of um, sort of limbo state. And um, I was in the Sangha, the monastic Sangha ordained, I thought ordained, but apparently not really legally, um, with three other um, fellow nuns, the first four of us that joined the order together. And um, in the, every year there would be at the beginning of the Vasa season, which is like a three-month three extra observance season in the monastery, there would be this, um, this ceremony that um, the Sangha would go through where you take dependence on the teacher and you get a train, you make an offering and you go up to the abbot and bow and, and you say in Pali, um, you know, my, I, I, um, I can't, it's quite a long time ago, I can't, I can't remember it, but it's something to the effect of, um, you know, offering this to the Sangha, that, that um, my burden is your burden, and uh, dedicating yourself. Um, it's an expression of being in the Sangha, asking for forgiveness for any faults, um, forgiving any, any harm against you. So it's a very beautiful ceremony, but it wasn't a ceremony that nuns could do because we weren't considered part of the Sangha. And I remember I watched this go for one year, two years, and I always felt this really, um, you know, at first I didn't mind because I was just a novice, I was new to the scene. But as I started to notice that the sort of the guys would kind of go up the scale and we would just sort of stay at the back, I started to feel this um, really, um, um, this energy started to, to be activated in me of wanting to challenge the system. And the teachings were very much like, well, you just let go. You, you, don't, you don't challenge a system. You're, you know, you're there to let go. So it was very confusing and contradictory. 
But I, I remember one, one, about three years in, I said to my fellow nuns, so there were a couple of other young women that had joined us at that point, I said, we're going to do this ceremony this time. I, I was always a little bit on that edge. And so, <laughs> and so I got together the tray, and I learned the Pali, and got together the offerings, and we were sat there, we stood at the back of the hall, and, and they, we had a sort of, it had a, the hall had a sort of dip in the middle like this, where the monks would sit up on the platform, and then the nuns would be at the back, and then the abbot would be in the middle. And so the monks got off the platform, they bowed, they offered their tray, they did this whole ceremony, um, being part of the Sangha, and you know, asking for forgiveness, and taking the abbot's burden, and the, uh, bur the abbot takes your burden, and so on, you make this vow. <laughs> And so that was all very beautiful. And I could start to feel this energy rising up in me, like this, this nervousness. Because um, I'd mentioned to the abbot before we went in, we'd like to do this. And he looked at me and he didn't say no. So I thought, okay. So um, then the monks parted. Um, and then the abbot just said, okay, um, that's it. He started to fold up his cloth. And at a certain moment, that moment, I felt two contrary energies. I felt this like this um, shattering through my body. I thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown because the intensity up until that point had grown very extreme, this sort of sense of this form that was very, very oppressive and this sort of moving, trying to op find a space to open, to exist within it. So I could feel this crushing feeling. And then this other force came up, uh, a stronger force, fortunately, and it and it, it just this voice came out and said, "Excuse me." <laughs> <laughs> and I grabbed the tray, and and the abbot looked shocked, and the monk looks a bit shocked, and I just sort of like it must be the Irish in me. So, I just sort of went up and I looked behind for my fellow nuns, and they were all frozen on the seat. I was like, "Where are you?" You know. So I'm out there in mid-flight, you know, with this tray. And I go and give it to the abbot, and I couldn't remember the party at that point because I was in a slightly shocked, disassociated state. So I said something in English, and he accepted it and, um, and said something back. <laughs> and it felt like one of those walls that, that were broken through. And this was a very, this wall about the nuns not re being in this ambivalent um, state in that form is, was, you know, two and a half thousand years of war. So it wasn't an easy war. But what were the energy in my, what was interesting was the energy in my body because it just felt like this huge release from these years of struggle and this huge opening. And then the other nuns afterwards, they were like, what did you do? And I said, I don't know, but I did it. And um, we, just, we just started giggling. We just giggled all the way back to the nun's cottage, and then we giggled all the evening, and we just had this giggling fit. But, um, but the, the fear, I mean, that was a long time ago, and it's a small example of in a, in a moment of just breaking through some sort of structure that was just an agreement. I mean, here we were just Westerners practicing together, and somehow this old thing had created this agreement that this is how it had to be until it had to shift. But that moment when we feel enough of an internal force for something to have to crack. And those are very, very interesting moments because they're not independent from what's felt in the body. 
that was my the, the surprise for me and how before that you know I used to get these coughs and I used to get sort of sick and I used to feel my energy was very low um, and so it was a it was a, a bodily freedom not only just a mental freedom I mean it carried on being a rather long story um, that whole story of um, the empowering of, of nuns in the Buddhist Sangha um, but it's just to use that as an example of considering maybe moments in our life when we break set when we feel like we have to move yes sir what happened, what happened? well actually what started to happen is that um, eventually we were offered a 10 precept of ordination which was a sort of similar to the high ordination and then the, that ceremony was I- included in in our practice so um, it's a bit of a long story that whole story of the um, development of the nuns community in England over 30 40 years and where it got to and what happened um, to that uh, particularly as the pressures to um, that started to gain momentum from the international women's uh, nuns and women's movement around that particular issue which is uh, you know as I say it's a quite a deep and ongoing story but basically we gained ground and that continued uh, until a certain point when there was a quite a big resistance um, which I talk about in my book yeah this is these old forms that um, you know that uh, meet a, a contemporary metaphor that we're in so there's always a, a crunch these crunch points to, um, Anyway, that wasn't really to, to so much go into that discussion on the situation of um, Buddhist nuns and the patriarchy in the, in the, particularly in the monastic sangha, but it's, it's just as an example. So there might be, there might be something in your life um, around some of these movements, movements of freedom, um, when you break set, or even the feeling of just freeing yourself up or even moments when you feel free. I, I remember another moment when I was really young, I think about nine or ten. I think it was an experience of anatta, of no self, of just walking by the sea. In, 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 my parents had taken us on holiday to Littlehampton in the south coast of England. And I used to like to leave them and just walk along by the sea in the River Arran. And I just have memories of walking there and feeling really free, you know, just this lovely feeling of freedom um, and, and not really a sense of me as the body or the self, but just that sense of freedom of the spirit. Because often we have those feelings, or sometimes when we're young, and then, they, and then we come encrusted in these roles and in these, like, I'm getting somewhere and I'm doing something and we, and we lose that feeling. But what, what is that feeling and, and, and how do we recognize it and when do we have it? And so that, that kind of sense of when we're freed up um, from the constructs, from the roles, from the conditionings, and then what it feels like when we feel oppressed by them or when we can't, like we're in a situation like that plane and we hear something going on, but we don't feel like we can move. Is a sort of feel kind of stuck. Can you relate to those territories? 
Okay, well, well, I'd like you to just sort of break into, yeah, Nerea. Uh, sorry? Yeah, sorry, I forgot to get it together to do that. <laughs> but it's called Time to Stand Up. And it has, um, it has actually a, something of an investigation into the deeper psychologies of um, some of these systems that we live within and the breaking through of them, and it, 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 informed by the Dharma, and particularly around patriarchy, uh, because it is written about the loss of the feminine, uh, the depth feminine, um, in both the languaging of the Dharma and in our own um, in the, the lack of ground for the nuns, in the, the invisibility of the nuns' lineage, it's over two and a half thousand years, and it's been, always been there, but it's been invisible. Um, and also looking at how that relates to one of the main overlying constructs of our global crisis. You know, um, there's very similar crossover points. Um, and, and yet how, you know, the, when, you, when you talk about the depth of wisdom, Prajna Paramita, this is an image of Prajna Paramita here, Prajna, wisdom, is, is referred to in the feminine, um, like the womb of awareness uh, from which Buddhas are born, the womb of wisdom which gives birth to all the Buddhas. So the sort of primary ground of the, the depth feminine is the ground of awakening. Um, so the, some of the languaging or the holding or the understanding of that or what that might look like and feel like as an internal, regardless of gender, um, as an internal, although gender plays in, but as an internal access in space, um, how it really has quite a, a different way of understanding practice and awakening in some ways. So, so if you're interested in that, then um, that might be a book to 